Hello and welcome to our Lancet Oncology podcast for the March 2020 issue. Today we are speaking with Dr. Ken Herman from the University Hospital Essen in Germany about his review for the Lancet Oncology on radiotheranostics. So hello Ken and thank you very much for agreeing to speak with us. Could you please tell us about radiotheranostics and its importance to the cancer field? The concept of radiotheranostics is actually quite old and has already been used for treating thyroid patients for almost 80 years now. And the idea of radiotheranostics is to selectively deliver radioactivity for diagnostic imaging, but also for therapy, mainly based on a specific aptic mechanism or on a specific target. In thyroid cancer patients, this concept is clinically implemented for many decades now. However, it took till the 90s until another tumor entity was widely studied, and these are the neonicrine tumor patients. And only in 2017, this therapy using a radioisotope labeled somatostatin receptor agonist was finally FDA and also EMI approved. Only a few years before, in 2013, a bone-seeking substance, so-called radium-223, was approved for treating bone metastasis in metastatic, metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer. And this was pretty much when the people realized that uh, this radiosynostic technology could actually serve as a platform technology, and more and more radiosynostics were developed. Thank you. And uh, in your opinion, what are the most promising radiosynostics that are being developed now or that are being used in clinical practice? So in addition to the currently approved ones, obviously the, the hottest currently developed radiosynostic is the so-called PSMA 617. It binds with a very high specificity to, to, the, to the prostate-specific membrane antigen, which is often, even so not exclusively, expressed in prostate cancer cells. And there's currently a prospective randomized phase three study ongoing so-called vision trial, and we are obviously very anxiously awaiting the results. Other promising targets comprise the chemokine receptor 4, in short, a CXCR4, or the fibroblast-activating protein FAP. For both targets, radiotherapeutics have already been used in humans and they are currently under clinical development. However, there are many other targets currently investigated, as the diagnostic concept is rather a platform technology than a one-hit wonder. And what are the main challenges of radiotherapeutics in clinical practice? Uh, do you think they are economically viable options? There are actually quite a number of challenges, and I would like to focus uh, on the following four. First of all, lack of trained experts. Whereas in some countries, including, for example, Germany or also Netherlands, there's already quite long-lasting experience uh, existing for these new therapies. There are other countries, including also the U.S., who are lacking experience experts. And establishing dedicated trainings based on the currently existing nuclear medicine curriculums in close collaboration with oncology and other clinical societies could be one solution. Second, the practical scalability. It's important to secure the isotope supply. It's important to define and guarantee pharmaceutical quality standards in the production to adapt the logistic challenges due to the defined half-life of radiosynostics. They decay quickly, as well as dosimetry and waste management, to just name the important ones for the practical scalability. Third one, it's the regulatory requirements. The existing pharmaceutical framework is not perfectly suitable for radiosynostics. And this obviously complicates the execution of clinical trials and therefore also the approval. In contrast to conventional drugs, the applied amounts of pharmacologically active substances are many tenfold smaller for radiosynostics compared to the drugs we are usually 
used to. Moreover, uh, using the radio uh, using the approach, we can also see what and where we deliver the drug. And uh, taking this into account, accordingly, would be very helpful to establish either a fast track mechanism for approval or a dedicated radio diagnostics framework. And fourthly, but not uh, least important, is the adequate reimbursement of both the drug but also the, the procedure of applying radio diagnostics. The clinical acceptance of these radio diagnostics will not only depend if the radio diagnostic itself is adequately reimbursed, but it is also important if the procedure is for both the patient controlling, but also the radiosynostic appliance stakeholder that is financially viable for them. If this is not the case, a clinically very important drug will actually not gain adequate usage. And a good example, actually, there's Sevelin. Sevelin is a Y90-labeled antibody against CD22. It's a very potent drug. However, it was not really clinically successful, mainly because these uh, uh, reimbursement challenges were not successfully overcome. However, altogether, these challenges can all be addressed, and I'm absolutely convinced that radio diagnostics is economically viable, not only for the pharmaceutical industry or the treating physicians, but most importantly for patients and our healthcare societies. So following up on that, what do you think are the future steps of radio diagnostics in cancer? I believe there are a couple of different strands which will be followed in parallel. Uh, for approved radiothenostics, it will be attempted to move into earlier lines, for example, into the near advanced setting, or into more aggressive tumors. Here's an example in neonicrine tumors. It's currently only approved for low-grade tumors, but they will now explore it into intermediate or high-grade neonicrine tumor patients. Uh, they will also go into other tumor entities, for example, uh, again, for, for neonicrine tumors who uh, express somatostatin 2 receptor, they will move into other two entities which also express somatostatin 2 receptors, such as meningioma, small cell lung cancer, among others. And obviously, the combination treatment is something very promising, combining radiostatinostics with chemotherapy and or immunotherapy, and, and also taking into consideration the genetic profiles. Another strength, is, uh, a strength will be uh, uh, the identification of new targets. Everyone is currently looking for the new PSMA, because PSMA is going to be quite a success. Uh, I mentioned before CR4 and FAP, and they're definitely promising targets, but there are many other groups focusing on new specific targets for radiosynostics. And obviously the expansion beyond uh, peptide ligands and small molecules to, for example, antibodies seems to be something very, very promising. Also, the currently available radioisotopes, I think we will try to expand uh, beyond the currently used ones, which are iodine-131, lutetium-177, and uh, itrium-90, uh, who are currently dominating the field. And there's definitely a growing interest now in alpha emitters beyond radium-223, such as actinium-225, lead-212, and uranium-188. And another important uh, strand will be setting up a dedicated infrastructure, such as dedicated diagnostic centers or dedicated radio diagnostic centers, which will allow the optimization of the patient flow and also the multidisciplinary collaboration and therefore also uh, laying the, the base for patient referrals. Well, thank you very much. This review and podcast will be available online with our March 2020 issue.